What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Hopefully you have had a solid week, closing it out strong, excited for this conversation. Today we're talking about why zero party and first party data is your greatest advantage in marketing. I've got a lot of thoughts on this because my headspace has been in this area as we've been building and developing the juice and trying to think about uh, experience for uh, both our members and the, the brands who distribute content on our platform. But I wanted to bring in someone who is living in this world too, and I'm excited to be joined by Michael, who is the head of content marketing at Get Response. Um, he's a super passionate marketer with a ton of ideas, tons of thoughts, and hopefully you get some value from this. If you're not already, make sure you sign up for the new Modern Day Marketer newsletter. The link is in the show notes. We drop a new edition every Friday using storytelling, curating content that we're learning from, and product data from the juice. You're not going to want to miss it. By the way, make sure you're telling a marketing friend about this show. We do appreciate that. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. Excited to have this conversation, share this episode with you. We are talking about a topic that's been a part of this podcast, but hasn't come up in a long time. The topic today is why zero party and first party data is your greatest advantage in marketing. I am excited to be joined by Michael, who is the head of content marketing and partnerships. I learned that right before the call at Get Response. Really excited about what they're doing. We had a fun conversation just as a warm up to this. So I think you all will enjoy it. But without further ado, Michael, welcome. How are you? I'm good. And I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Before we get started, I'd love just if the audience is unfamiliar, I typically do this. Um, what's the brief on Get Response? Um, kind of for people who might not know who you are and what you all do. Sure. So Get Response is an email marketing software that extends into other uh, marketing channels as well. So as, as many other platforms like this, we started with email marketing at its core, but we moved into other areas like SMS, live chat, webinars, funnels, and ads. So it is a platform primarily for people that want to work with first-party and zero-party data, especially via email. And it's a scalable platform, so for companies of all sizes. I love it. I uh, My career come up was in the email marketing space, so I'm sure we can probably trade some stories um, after we get off. But again, too, everyone always says email marketing is dead. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's growing, and it seems like every time I look at Scott Brinker's map, there's more and more email marketing um, providers that are popping up. That's true. Actually... Uh, one of the things I asked the OpenAI chat this week was, what are the most common misconceptions about email marketing? And the number one was that email marketing is dead. So it seems that, you know, it's a shared sentiment and even AI knows about it. I love it. It's a narrative that will not die, apparently. So before we get into the kind of the zero and first party data of it all, I think we should start with maybe third party data. And there's just this shift from third party data. When I think about third-party data, just as a marketer who's been doing marketing for a while, and 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 like reflect back on my use of it, most of the 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 things that I was using third-party data for to the people I was marketing to are probably not things that I'd want to be 
how I'd want to be marketed to. So I think that's one big thing that I've noticed uh, just personally, but maybe talk a little bit about this shift and maybe why is it happening and, and what do you think it means for marketers? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've been using Adblock and Ublock for quite a while as well. You know, even though I would, you know, in the past, I would probably recommend that marketers do make use of third-party data to just optimize their funnel to, you know, squeeze out the most out of their conversions uh, when remarketing their audiences. But truth be told, as a consumer, you know, I've been wanting this shift to happen and it has been happening over the years. So with the scandals like the Cambridge Analytica, uh, with just any data breaches that we had over the years, we noticed as consumers that you know, marketers have too much data about us. We didn't even know how much of it they have. And, and you know, when it wasn't used in a bad way, we probably wouldn't care. We didn't care so much. But when you could clearly see that people can steer our minds, our mo- motivation towards a particular topic without our knowing, then we knew that this is a bad thing. And looking at, uh, at the legislations and regulations that have been changing over the years, you know, in Europe, GDPR was a big thing. Um, you know, we have CCPA, CASL. So we have many regulations changing over the years that have been showing that, hey, you know, it's about time for the consumers to have access to the data that, you, that marketers have about them to not only have access, but to modify it, to reject the usage of that data. So we could see that many things are going into that into that direction. People did, I mean, I don't think everyone cared so much about data being collected. It's just that they didn't know how much of it was collected, how it's going to be used. So quite often you still will click on that consent uh, cookie banner when you enter in a website. And sometimes you might get annoyed that you see those uh, a lot. But at the same time, when you do dig into how marketers can use that, then you're you're worried, and especially from people that are not marketers. You know, even talking to my father-in-law, he would be you know mentioning to me, "Hey, why is this website following me? Why is this ad popping up?" And the creepier versions, when you know, when you talk about something and then it appears on on a social media platform. You know, even two weeks ago, I chatted with my mom about plants and this company that sells plants. Uh, you know, as an e-commerce. And then the same ad, the same plant company appears on my Facebook. I'm like, okay, this is getting a bit silly. So I think we've been always thinking as consumers that marketers shouldn't have uh, that much data about us and they shouldn't be using that data. And us as marketers, we've been collecting first-party data and zero-party data for quite a while. But, you know, the shiny thing being third-party data it has always been there as well. And if you wanted to promote your uh, your brand, you wanted to go out there on other websites and just make use of your budget, you would go also with third party and not just only rely on what you collect on your site, what you collect via polls, sar- surveys, emails, etc. Uh, you would probably you know, have a have a mix of uh, of the data that you're using. The one thing that I can tell you, just to, as a relatable example to your plant story, is my wife and I decided uh, three to f- five months ago that you know uh, our downtime with a little one is when we're on the couch, and the couch that we currently have is not as comfortable as it probably should be, since that is our time to relax. 
So we started talking about buying a new couch. And I'll tell you this right now, if you start talking about buying a new couch at your house and you open up your phone, you'll see couches for days. I think the couch, whatever, all the couch companies have have the listening slat to add on social media strategy uh, down. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting, but I think one of the things that when, when, before we get into like the first party and the or zero party in the first party that I'd, I'd like to maybe chat about is just like trust a little bit. It's like, you know, we, we've been through this third party rodeo and I think my, how it makes me feel is that like it hurt, it, it hurts trust between consumer and brand because all of a sudden we're being force fed a bunch of things that we might not be ready for. So maybe like share a little bit about just trust in general and that relationship when it comes to like third-party data. I'd, I'd love your perspective there. Sure. So I do know of people that would say they actually like being followed by ads. So it is kind of a reminder of what they were looking at or has good suggestions on what they might be interested in. So th- there's this segment of people that will say, you know, that's that's completely fine. But on the other side, we have all the people that either don't like it or are unfamiliar with the concept of, you know, cookies and everything that we collect about them. And they definitely, they are worried about how the, the what kind of data is collected about them. You have to watch out for links you click in your text messages and your email. So they, they are worried in general when using um, the web in general. So when you hear about, uh, as I mentioned, you know, Cambridge Analytica, the, a huge scandal, how how we could be steered toward uh, voting on a particular uh, on a particular person. Uh, you know, here in Poland as well, we talked about, you know, having troll farms uh, of just commenting on social media, trying to steer people away from uh, voting to a particular uh, party or talking about the COVID and uh, whether the, the vaccines work. You know, people have trust issues and it is grounded. I completely understand that. In in terms of whether they want to disclose data and have personalized communication, I do think people do want that. So, you know, Amazon years ago was probably one of the first companies within the industry that would offer personal recommendations on the books that you are reading. You have Goodreads, right? Uh, I love the recommendations there. INDB, the same thing. You go to Netflix and you don't have to spend a whole evening choosing a movie that you want to watch together. Still, it's a problem. (laughs) I cannot say it's not, especially if your kids, your wife and you use the same account, but it is helping us out. Um, So on one way, we have the trust issues, but looking at the latest data, actually, McKinsey uh, published a report based on, I think, 2021 data. They did say that about... 75, I think, percent of users actually expect personalization. So, you know, you can't have personalization without the data. And about 76% actually get annoyed when they don't get it. Uh, so, you know, we th- there it's a balance of what kind of data you can collect. How, how are you going to tell your audience what you're going to do with it? And then on the other side, providing actually value out of that. And you know, it's not an easy process, uh, especially sales teams. They always want to collect as much information as possible. You know, exchanging an ebook, for example, for a phone number, email address, maybe, you know, the company size, the budget size, etc. I've seen very silly situations where you wanted to sign up for a webinar 
and you had to fill out like 15, uh, 15 fields. And it said it's a free webinar. Well, it's not a free webinar. I'm <laughs> disclosing so much information that some advertising companies would pay a lot for money for. Yeah, uh, I can totally relate with all those long form fills. Uh, yuck. And also, yeah, the Netflix Flix experience. I can't can't watch anything without having to get through Coco Melon these days over here. <laughs> uh, um, maybe we talk a lot. The more maybe the more modern way, a more modern approach is like this the zero party and the first party data i'd love for, we're so used to third party i'd love for you to maybe define like what is zero party data what is first party data um kind of what does it mean and, and why does it matter right now sure so starting with the first party data that's that's been in use for many years and you know the inventor of cookies actually listened to a podcast where he talked about it was actually you know, he came up with this uh, working for Netscape, if I'm not mistaken, for the use of audience so that whenever they buy online, they don't have to in, buy one item at a time. They don't have to remember their passwords, everything. That that sort of stuff is stored because first party data is what you, you yourself as a website owner uh, collect about the user well when they're on the website and it's meant to help out the user in their experience how they use your website so as i said you know um using logging into the platform just remembering uh, the checkout uh, adding more items to the basket or remembering your language settings this is the first party data and zero party data is not what you collect when someone's browsing on the website it is actually what the people tell you specifically about themselves so even even more granular even more correct because people will tell you you know what they're interested in uh, what they like what products they want to hear about what sort of stuff they're interested in or you know get them uh, engaged and they tell you through the, uh, this through uh, polls surveys um, maybe through membership uh, systems preference centers and this kind of stuff so First party is what you collect about the user when they visit your website and zero party is what they tell you specifically. And, you know, zero party data is meant to be more uh, more accurate because people tell you this, tell you about themselves. And I guess in most cases that is right. You can tell what you're interested in, but it's not always the case. You will not remember to update your, I don't know, location. If you're moving to a new place, you probably uh, will not update your preferences in every single website at every single store uh, when you change, I don't know, your moods and you're no longer interested in football, but you play squash instead. So in, in one way, it is accurate, but at the same time, it's not always foolproof. And with first-party data uh, that you collect about the users, well, you have to analyze a lot of that stuff and think what it means uh, in, about the user. You have to connect the dots yourself to figure out if they're really interested in this, which is which is useful, which is uh, the right way to do as well. But it's probably more challenging to use when when you do your marketing campaigns. I think uh, the chat those challenges. Whenever we face um, instances or circumstances where we're trying to leverage data to run campaigns, influence our content, help our sales team, to me, it's whenever we hit those hurdles and we have to think about it. That usually is an indicator that this is probably the right thing. Like we're, we're having to take some time, we're having to work, as opposed to gathering third party data, just putting it through a system and hitting, you know start and letting something run its course. So I think 
Um, at the end of the day, while it might be more work for us as the marketer, it is probably going to lead to a better experience for the consumer or the future customer that we're trying to reach. So maybe like talk a little bit about the kind of the shift in mindset that we have as marketers when using zero party and first party data as opposed to maybe third party data. Sure. So I absolutely agree with you in terms of the times when you have to stop and think about a project or a process uh, rather than just rinse and repeat and do it uh, in a rush is probably the right way to do is probably the right thing to do. So starting with emails, for example, when you think of an email blast, you just send it out to everyone at the same time, the same message, no matter what they like, what they're interested in, what they clicked in the past, if they engage in anything or not. And with targeted email campaigns, for example, you, okay, you have to develop a separate segment, you have to develop a different message, but when you start doing these things, you notice that, hey, the return on investment on those campaigns is higher. People are engaged more. They're unsubscribing less frequently. So something's got to be going on. Something's got to be true uh, about the project or about the approach that we have here. So I think the shift is in general these days that since people expect personalization, they buy more often from brands that expect pers- that provide personalization. They actually recommend these brands more often. They are more likely to re- uh, repurchase from them. Um, we see that as consumers that this is this is what we expect, and you know people change their behavior as well. In the McKinsey report that I shared before, I mentioned before, and they found that seventy, I think seventy or seventy-five percent of users last year tried a new purchasing behavior, whether it meant a brand or a purchasing, let's say a payment uh, s- service. So people are, they are advent- you know, uh, adventurers. They want to try new things. So as marketers, we observe these things and we notice that it is not working the same mass communication to everyone. And with, with, the, with the regulations changing, with the shift against the third-party cookies, you know, since Google said that they don't want to do it, they don't want to provide you enough with a lot of information about these users. They want to put them more in cohorts rather than give you exact ID of the person that you're reaching. Marketers need to focus on what really works. And what really works has always been the same thing as actually being very personal. And small brands get it right. When you go to a shop and people name you with your name, I'll greet you with their name, you know that this works. And welcome emails, they do work wonders as well. They get, they get over 60% open rates, about 20% click-through rates. And it's not rocket science. It's not that someone has a very personalized communication set up. It actually is just sent at the right time to the right people. So, you know, even a simple uh, simple pro- project like this or simple approach like this could help you out. Um what we're motivating people toward is actually segmenting their databases more. So again, with email marketing, people were always thinking about like, hey, I need to have a bigger email list. Well, with email filters these days, you're actually not so motivated to have a big email list. You want to have an engaged email list because if you're going to be sending the same message to everyone, you're going to be landing in the spam folder. You're going to have a bad well, bad uh, situation, getting out of that spam folder, getting the open clicks and everything else. So you, you have to shift toward those more targeted campaigns that bring you better results. And 
when when you do that, when you identify your best customers or most engaged subscribers, your VIPs, etc., you can move on to other things that will make it easier for you to get better results from your campaigns. And I'm talking about email marketing because that's you know that's my uh, that's my favorite uh, marketing channel. But this applies anywhere. You know, if you're talking to a customer support team, you don't want to be you know if you're gonna be talking to to the let's say. Uh, to to a company uh, or an online store, you don't want to be transferred multiple times uh, be, before reaching a person. If you're calling a company, you don't want to have to dial in or click so many numbers before talking to a person. You want to have a personal experience with them. Hey, chatbots, I know they were big and people are using them so much, but to be honest, I don't see so much a conversation about chatbots these days. <laughs> and probably six months ago, there was more conversation about it. Hey, we were training chatbots two years ago in our office, trying to implement that instead of our customer support. Luckily, that didn't work out and we have a great customer support team. Um, but I guess that the shift is you know, towards one-to-one communication, uh, whatever channel you're using. So staying on this, uh, I'm getting flashbacks to earlier in my career thinking about email marketing now. So staying on this topic, I love what you said about not having one big email list, but having segmented lists uh, based on you know the data that you have and and actions that those users have taken. And I th- I think about that and what we were just talking about. And like let's say instead of one big list, you have ten smaller lists. Well. The 10 smaller lists are probably going to mean more work for your team, right? That means like probably different communications to each group, but the, odd, the odds of those uh, responses uh, going up are likely going to increase. I, I love just like maybe getting like super nerdy on this. Like what, what type of segments are you guys looking at? at get response or your customers looking at that can help define maybe those breakpoints like what are good opportunities to break you know your big group or your big email list apart to subsets like what are some of the big ones yeah so our situation is probably slightly different than you know most of your listeners so as a SaaS brand uh with multiple projects going on we will have segments around the customers, you know, if they're on a freemium plan, if they're on a paid plan, which plan it is, um, if they're a max user, that is our, um, these are our key accounts. So we will have segments based on, uh, on let's say their the plan, uh, on their usage as well, how active they are with the platform. But on top of that, we will have many segments uh, within, for example, um, well, in response to how they responded to our communication, if they joined us for a webinar, if they downloaded any ebook, or they visited a website that was on a particular topic. Let's say they looked at pages with dedicated IP or they looked at e-commerce related content. So we will have segments around around that as well. And depending on the campaign that we're running, we're going to be targeting a specific segment there. Uh, At the same time, as we're an international company, we have all the communications split up by the markets where we send the information to. Uh, so we're going to have in, separate communication in French, separate communication in German, and so on. So additional segments there. And for for the brands that we talk to, and quite often we talk about with SMB, B2B brands, but also B2C, 
uh, e-commerce brands. So for, for them, we also try to um, incentivize that they look at the RFM analysis, for example, to identify the most promising, the highest value customers uh, that shop a lot with them, that have a large, uh, big customer lifetime value and spend the most amount of time, you know, the 20, 80% rule so that they spend the 80% of the time on the, on the 20% of their audience that can generate the most uh, revenue for them. But at the same time, they will have those segments of only first-time buyers that never converted to anything more. They didn't come back to uh, buy again. They have those people that used to be those VIPs, those most valued customers, but they actually dropped out. They're no longer that interested or that engaged. So maybe there's a way to win them back. And then there are all those unengaged re, uh, people that need to reactivate it. And Coming back to the topic that you said that, you know, that requires setting up those 10 segments and maybe 10 or more messages for all of them. But coming back to the example of a welcome email, it doesn't have to always be uh, a separate message for everyone. Sometimes you can use uh, personalization within the email content. For example, we're uh, these days promoting using AI to actually recommend products within the email content or even on the website. So when someone is visiting your store, maybe they looked at a particular category and they're on your email list, you can have a marketing automation workflow that just looks at the page, uh, sees there's no conversion, sends out an email with recommended products block. And depending on the scenario that you set up, it could be best uh, just your bestsellers. It could be your uh, recently viewed products or products recommended based on the other customers and that had similar traits. So it, it is, you know, you can set up some messages and some scenarios that will be done automatically, uh, but within your, your, let's say, sales promos and um, other messages that you're sending out manually, yes, you'll have to create those messages separately and craft your content, craft your copy separately. Make sure you uh, share this episode with anyone who's running your email marketing. There are some good tips in here. Um, this has been awesome. I want to maybe learn a little bit about, you talked about the the webinar example of you know, there was a time I'll never forget when someone, uh, I was signing up for someone's webinar and this, uh, granted, I'll give it some time. This was, you know, four or five years ago, but I remember I was asked for my street address when, when I was signing up for a webinar, which I was like, that just, that seems like a bunch of funny business going on. Um, but I think now it, I know for my personal use case, I, the likelihood of me, you know, sharing data goes up when there's fewer questions asked. So maybe as just marketers, what have you experienced um, just in the spirit of like initially, or if there's an offer, asking fewer questions and building that trust be, and knowing that maybe like down the road, if they're getting value, they're going to be sharing more information with you. Talk up a little bit about that. Less is more. Sure. So I definitely always was uh, thinking as a consumer rather than as marketer when setting up our signup forms or working with our salespeople. And it's always been a struggle because people want to ask as many questions as possible within the first step. Uh, but you cannot do that because, well, people will not convert. Plus, they don't they don't get the value just yet to collect that information. So what I love is the development toward those multi-step forms, for example. Uh, so for, uh, I think, two or three weeks ago, I was checking out the website Exploding Kittens, and they, they actually did this multi-step form that first asked me if I'm in the U.S., 
uh, I lied. I said I'm in the US, and then it asked me if I wanted to t- to get 10% off on my first purchase. I'm like, of course, let's do it. I provided them my email address. And then in the next step, they said, hey, do you want to bump it up to 15%? If so, just provide your phone number. And absolutely, you know, if if I had a US phone number, I would uh, definitely recommend it. And that's one way to do it. You can use quizzes, for example, interactive content. That's uh, That's a big thing these days where you actually collect information about your audience in a fun and engaging way. So you can ask them, Specifically, for example, what kind of skincare products they need, what kind of skin they have, what kind of uh, challenges they have. And after a few questions, can, let's say, send them a discount code via email if they provide you with that. And, uh, you know, you can transfer all that information into your CRM or email marketing platform. You already have that info. But if you want a simple way, uh, you can do it, you know, via a welcome email. I recently saw an, uh, an example from a furniture store company that I think they understand their audience very well. So first of all, they offered a discount code to sign up to the newsletter. I think it was 15% off in the welcome email. They shared that discount code. But within that message also, they had two CTAs. One of them said, hey, do you want to stay on our email list and learn about uh, about design, furniture, refurbishing, and other tricks? Click here. Hey, do you want to get more information about our latest deals, uh, promos about furniture uh, products? And then it was a separate CTA. So they, you know, even by having those two buttons there, you can dif- differentiate your audience, uh, distinguish them into two separate segments. And in anything that you do, really, you can do this. You know, webinars, giving you an example, you know, in all our webinars, we ask a question at the beginning. And other than, you know, where you're joining us from, there's another question, for example, that is related to the topic of this this discussion. So when we have a webinar on e-commerce marketing tactics for 2023, we ask what e-commerce platform they're using. So Next uh, next time we have a webinar or we develop a content piece, we'll know whether we should be developing content piece for Magento, Shopify, Klaviyo, or uh, you know uh, other uh, marketing uh, platforms out there, or we should be just looking at the general uh, you know general e-commerce audience out there. Super smart. This has been a ton of fun, Michael. Before I let you get out of here, getting started it's always the most overwhelming thing we have to tackle as marketers. If you are a marketer out there who's relied heavily on third-party data and you know it's wrong and you know that you need to make a shift, like what are the best ways that you can get started thinking about using zero-party, first-party data in your go-to-market heading into 2023? Yeah, absolutely. So I would definitely start by thinking what sort of information I want to uh, obtain about my audience. And what value I can offer to these people. I know lead magnets are not necessarily a new thing, but people still expect to receive good value out of this exchange of data. So think about more engaging ways of um, exchanging this data. So maybe using interactive content, as I said, have a quiz that will help you evaluate uh, evaluate, let's say, what kind of email marketer you are, what was your digital marketing uh, expertise maybe share a report or a checklist or a video. Think about what kind of content you can offer to your audience and put it on your website and trade it for that email address. And you know, don't ask for too many pieces of information right away, but trade it for 
uh, just that email and try to, with every single email that you send them, think about what else could I now learn about this, these folks? Could they provide me with a birthday uh, date? Does it make sense to me? Does it make sense to them to do that? And if it does, what should I offer them? So maybe if, for example, I'm selling baby products, I know, uh, I don't know, clothes or even food, you know, it does make sense that my communication will adapt to the baby's age so that, you know, in next year, I'm not going to be still sending information about, uh, I don't know, formula, formula milk when that baby is no longer a baby, it's a toddler. So uh, I can ask that information and put it in a, a narrative that, hey, I want to do this to make sure that you get the best uh, experience yourself. So think about the user uh, at first and just within your list as well. Try to understand what kind of people you have. If you've collected those people, create segments and check what kind of communication works for them. And if you don't know anything about these people, do try to run polls, run surveys whenever you can, talk to your ICP whenever you can, and just collect as much information as possible. Naturally, you know, uh, offer them value, but uh, gather that and just make your suggestions or your uh, future campaigns based on what you think you already know. And, you know, zero-party data is going to be more accurate here. First-party data is going to be helpful as well, but you just have to merge it together. And one thing that's actually useful, uh, and I know not many marketers do these days, for example, if you have an email list of segments uh, that you already communicate with and you're running marketing campaigns as well, you can actually transfer that data from your lists to Google, let's say, and you can run marketing campaigns to these people. Actually, you can exclude them from your campaigns or you can run uh, this observer mode kind of campaigns where you uh, compare the general audience results uh, to your segments. So you can see, hey, it looks like my newsletter subscribers, you know, actually are more engaged than this cold audience that I'm reaching. How about I do something for them or based on what information I have in my email marketing platform already. So you, you should be collecting all of that information and just making sense of it. And that's probably going to be, you know, a funny project for 2023. I hope you all learned something out there about first party, zero party data. I sure learned a ton. Michael, thank you so much for stopping by, sharing your knowledge. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was amazing. That was such a fun conversation. Hopefully you learned a new thing or two about zero party and first party data. Loved Michael's perspective. Everyone take care of themselves, take care of others around you. We'll be back with more Modern Day Marketer on the other side. Be well.